Psalm 119, beginning in verse 101. Hear now the word of the living God. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And then skipping down to 124, deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. And thus far, the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. We have spoken this week about loving. Loving our God, loving our neighbors, our world, our church, our family, and even our enemies. But it is important that God also calls us to hate certain things as well. It's not nice to not hate those things that God says we should hate. Psalm 97.10, You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of His saints. He delivers them out of the hands of the wicked. The Bible is full of antithesis. Things that are set over against one another. Opposites, if you will. Light and darkness. Heaven and hell. Life and death. Good and evil. Love and hate. Depending on what we love, we will of necessity hate those opposites. So, for example, in Proverbs 8.36, wisdom says, But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me, that is wisdom, love death. And Jesus says in Matthew 6.34, No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Now, it is common for us to blur these lines. We love some things and some people some of the time, but at other times we seem to love the opposite. We love the truth when it suits us, and we love the lie when it suits us. If we haven't clearly resolved in our own minds and hearts who the ultimate love is, then we will find ourselves more frequently torn between competing loves. That's why God demands of us supreme love. We are to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, a line can be crooked any number of ways, an infinite number of ways, really, but it can only be straight in one way. Sometimes a false way might look like a true way. Maybe it's only off a little bit. But again, the truth can only be one way. God has given us what we need in order to determine the difference. He's given us a straight edge, a ruler, a rule. Thy word is a lamp to my feet 
and a light to my path. In fact, Psalm 119 is full of these kinds of instructions about the standard of God's Word being how we determine what's right, what's wrong, what's straight, what's crooked, what's true, what's false. And as Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It's not always easy to know the difference between good and evil. People, I think, assume that. It's not always easy to know the difference between true and false. The problem in the garden was that Adam and Eve wanted to make that determination for themselves. Now, as they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not that all of a sudden their eyes were open and now they knew the difference between good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, remember what Satan said, if God doesn't want you to eat this because he knows your eyes will be open. But they wanted to determine what was good and evil for themselves. They didn't want God to tell them what was good and evil. They wanted to be their own God. They wanted to set the terms of what was okay and what wasn't, what they could and couldn't do. They wanted to be their own God, and that's our problem as well. And we need a course correction. Hebrews 5, 13-14, Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, mature, uh, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Let me paraphrase this. Babies in the Bible, immature Christians, don't know much. In fact, he's just gotten ready saying, by now you ought to be teachers But instead, you've grown dull of hearing. I'd like to give you some meat, but you can't handle it. But for those, he says, this solid food, for those who who by reason of exercise, the Greek word here is where we get our word gymnasium, those who have worked out in the Word of God, have their spiritual senses trained to do what? Discern good and evil. Which tells me, I can't, the world is all the time telling us what's right and wrong, and they have it backwards. They call evil good and good evil. We do the same without the Word of God. We need a corrective lens, if you will. We need a standard that corrects where we're getting it wrong. We need to look at the world differently. And so we, when we bow to the Lordship of Jesus, we're saying that He now gets to tell us what is true and false, what is good and evil. He is the truth, and we love Him, and therefore we love the truth, and this means we hate every false way. Now I want to mention a few specific areas where we need to be on the lookout for false ways so that we can be sure to hate them. We have been speaking on how to love our family, neighbors, church, world, and enemies, but there is a time when you must hate each of these. The summary is, anytime any one of these comes between you and Christ, there can never be any question where your first loyalty of love lies. If that has been settled in your heart and mind, then you will not have to hesitate as to what to do when a conflict arises between your love for Christ and and these other loves. So let's begin with our family. 
It would be hard to exceed the natural love between a parent and child, and yet sin is even able to destroy that natural love. In some cases, becoming a Christian could cost someone their family and their family relationships. Sometimes people are disowned for having become Christians. Or following Christ might create strife between a husband and a wife or a parent and child. Moreover, even this natural love can become an idol, go the other direction. It can supersede our love for Christ. I've seen husbands and wives whose desire for one another caused them to forsake Christ and the church. I've seen parents whose affection for their for and loyalty to their child caused them to stand with a child who was in sin rather than stand with Christ and His church and His word. But Jesus makes it clear that to love Him is to obey Him over and above even family members. Luke 14:26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew 10:37 helps give us a little commentary on this. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Second, our neighbors, and I'm going to include in that our friends. One of the biggest threats that young people face comes from their friends. We all want friends. We all need friends. But when a friend comes between you and Jesus, you have a choice to make. What is your ultimate love? This might be your best friend. It's often a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I've seen this in too many cases. I recall one from several years ago when a young girl sat in my office and proclaimed her love for a young man who was clearly not a believer. Her words were, to, were really chilling to me. It's a girl who grew up in the church. I knew her very well. I knew her family. This was 30 years ago. And she looked at me and she said, I don't care. I'm going to marry John anyway. Well, she did marry John and she fell away from the church. And three children and eight years later, she and John divorced. Thankfully, she came back to Christ in the church, but not without a great deal of pain and lost time. Jesus wants you to have friends, but he wants you to have the right kind of friends. And if you marry someone that loves Jesus more than they love you, you will always be loved. Let me show you how serious God is about this, and I'm not going to take the time to even explain all this. It's shocking. Shocking to our way of thinking, I think, from Deuteronomy 13, beginning in verse 6. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, in other words, the wife you're in love with, your friend, who is as your own soul, we would say your very best friend, your BFF, secretly entices you, saying, let us go and serve other gods. 
which you have not known, neither you or your fathers, the gods of the people which are around you, the culture. Near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him. But you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put, to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people, and you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear, and not again do such wickedness as this among you. As I said, I'm not going to take the time to open that up and do some historical explaining. I want the shock of it to set. One thing you ought to be saying is this. You know what? I may not understand all that's there, but my first words ought to be, that's the Word of God. It's true and it's right. Now, I need to work to understand it exactly and how that plays out, but the point is clear, isn't it? Nobody comes between you and God. And if you're being enticed to go do something or participate in something or observe something that's contrary to him, you're not only not to participate, you're not to conceal it. That's how love for Christ works. Third, our church. Of course, we are to love our church. But even churches can fall away from following Christ. God warned Israel, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or the left to go after other gods and serve them. Has that happened in churches? All over the place. And so that same warning applies to churches. Sometimes that applies to individuals within a church. Titus 3 says, Reject the divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. You got a contentious person in the church? Don't don't you be hanging out with them? Don't you? You got somebody out in the parking lot? Some of the, some some of the teenagers, somebody else, and they're they're being rebellious. They're members of the church. You're members of the church. You don't associate yourself with that. Separate yourself from that. Hate that. That's a false way. Second Peter two one. Sometimes it applies to teachers and leaders in a church. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. You cannot hang out with immoral people, even if they're church members. And so Paul instructs in 1 Corinthians 5.11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolater, a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Maybe they haven't been brought under church discipline yet. Maybe it hadn't gotten to that level, but you know that he's doing immoral things. You know he was drunk on Friday. Now, you can go to him. You can admonish him. You can encourage him to do the right thing, to repent. 
but you may not conceal him. You may not say, oh, well, I can't tell anybody. Of course you can tell somebody. Well, if I do, he's going to think I'm a snitch. Well, he'd be right. And that's okay to be one. In fact, you must be one if you love him and hate every false way. And if you love Christ and hate every false way, now if you love him and, and, his, and you don't want him to get in trouble and that's your biggest concern is that he might be mad at you, what you're really saying is, I love me more than I love Christ and more than I, love false, more than I hate false ways. I'm just worried about me and what might happen to me. Our world. God loves the world, and so he sent his son to save the world. But he didn't make a deal with the world. We too should love the world in the sense that we seek to rescue the lost and bring them the gospel. But there's a different kind of loving the world that we're, of course, forbidden to engage in. In fact, I think it's accurate to say that in this other sense, of course, we hate the world. And so Pastor Neil addressed this yesterday, the different ways we can think about the world, but of course that way that's a false way, that way that opposes God, opposes Christ, all those ways which are multiple, uh, they're everywhere all the time, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world, and the world is passing away. That's why I see people hitching their wagon to, to the party life or uh, the pursuit of this or that temporal thing that's going to pass away. And they're going to die, and it's going to die. The real danger... There is real danger in being cool. It's so tempting. When we're more concerned about receiving the approval of the world rather than the approval of God, then our ultimate love has shifted. And when you are attracted to the bad boy, there's a reason for that. Maybe you don't love what you think you love. In James Smith's book that I mentioned the other day, You Are What You Love, he describes a Russian film titled Stalker. Wherein, wherein one man named the professor is leading two other men to what is called the zone, where there is a room, capital room, the name it's called the room, in the zone. And in that room, he tells the two men that they will achieve the desires of their heart. Whatever their greatest desire is will be achieved in the room. In the room, you get exactly what you want. And as the men near the room they begin to get cold feet. The professor asks the man which one of them wants to go first. They both hesitate. One of them says, what if I don't know what I want? Well, the professor replies, that's for the room to decide. The room reveals all. What you get is not what you think you wish for, but what you most deeply wish for. So what do you really love? And what do you really hate? Would you be willing to go into the room? Our enemies. Finally, let me say something about hating the enemies we have said that you ought to love. 
By now, I hope you can see that it is possible to both love in one way and hate in another way. Our greatest desire for our enemies is for them to surrender, to defect, to join our side, to no longer be our enemies. And yet, enemies remain. There are real enemies. You have enemies within and without. And wherever they oppose Christ, you must oppose them. We hate every false way because false ways always lead to destruction. Your love for Christ, you love Christ supremely, and therefore his enemies are your enemies. And you must oppose them, resist them, expose them, flee from them. Psalm 101. I will sing of the mercy of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of all those who fall away. I shall, it shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Is that love? That's love. Is that hate? That's hate. That's love and hate in the right place. You love the right thing and you hate the right thing. That goes together. So, where is your greatest love? Who or what have you aligned or allied yourself with? Whose team are you on? Joshua put the question to the people this way. You're familiar with this. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Period. Exclamation point. Jesus put it this way. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So well now, I hope that you will depart from Gloria Sancta with some new resolve to love God supremely and for all your loves to follow that one great love. And I'll close with these words from Psalm 5, verse 4 and 8. Let's make them our prayer this morning. Let's pray. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. 
In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. Amen. The Lord's table is the family table. All of God's children are invited to gather around and commune in love with Him and with one another. It is here that we are reminded of our first love, and it is here where we renew our loyalty to Him. Again, it's the first day of the week. It's a new beginning. Here we are refocused on what matters, on what's important, and what's eternal. We have many distractions from within and without. We're prone to forget. And we have come back here to remember. And we will come back here every week for the rest of our lives. Calvin referred to the place of the church, and he writes this, Our weakness does not allow us to be dismissed from her school until we have been pupils all of our lives. And he elaborates on the significance of the Lord's table when he says, God has received us once for all into his family to hold us not only as servants but as sons. Therefore, to fulfill the duties of a most excellent father concerned for his offspring, he undertakes also to nourish us throughout the course of our life. And not content with this alone, he has willed by by giving his pledge to assure us of this continuing liberality. To this end, therefore, he has, through the hand of his only begotten Son, given to his church another sacrament, that is, a spiritual banquet, wherein Christ attests himself to be the life-giving bread upon which our soul feeds unto true and blessed immortality. The signs are bread and wine, which represent for us the invisible food we receive from the flesh and blood of Christ. Now Christ is the only food of our soul, and therefore our Heavenly Father invites us to Christ, that, refreshing by partaking of Him, we may repeatedly gather strength until we shall have reached heavenly immortality. O Lord, always be our support and strength in this spiritual warfare wherein we have pledged today to engage anew against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have solemnly renounced our sins and expressed our desire above all things to be delivered from them. Be graciously pleased to accept these sincere intentions and desires and to consider our many weaknesses. Keep us steadfast in the resolutions that we have made against every false way. We implore the constant assistance of the Holy Spirit and subdue our corruptions and uh, to, to subdue our corruptions and restrain our inordinate desires to make us delight in your ways and to replenish our souls with all Christian graces and virtues. As we examine our lives, may we find in ourselves a greater growth and steadfastness in the practice of our faith, greater striving daily against sin, and moving on from grace to grace and from virtue to virtue. May we live and die in your favor and obedience and to be received into your eternal and glorious kingdom through the merits and mediation of your Son, Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory 
with exceeding joy. To, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.